We have a mission statement of our church which says to um, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And um, everything that we do needs to center around this mission statement. And we have talked throughout this year about what it means for sending. We just finished a series on transformed. And a few weeks ago, we started a series talking about the word influence. Now, the definition that we're using for influence is that influence has an effect of one person on another to move a person to some action. Influence of one person on another to move a person to action. This is what influence is. If you look in the New Testament, this word is only used a couple of times. And the word influence comes from a word that means like a measuring rod, a device to measure. And it was used at times to be able to set apart certain spheres and, and to set apart almost like if you're laying out a subdivision and you measure it out in the different parcels of land. So it is this sphere that has been set apart. So keeping that in mind, we need to understand that we as Christians, we were designed for influence. We were purchased by his blood, empowered by his spirit to be those that are influencing the world for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. And so just to do a review as to what we talked about a couple weeks ago to get you an overview of what influence is, this is it. Influence is really based around, for us, we'll look at about five M's on there. First of all, influencing your world for Christ is you, first of all, you measure your influence. And that means you determine what I how I am to influence. And the measure of my influence is to give God the glory. That's what we're created for was to give God glory. So measure your influence of glorifying God. Number two is to maximize your influence. You maximize your influence by realizing I need to live for Christ. I need to live for him. I need to be obedient to his word. And then it maximizes my influence, gives me a better platform to be able to share who Christ is and what he's done for my life. But then there is this marking off your sphere of influence. And a couple of weeks ago, we challenged all of our members just to, during the week, set aside, lay out, and identify your areas of influence. And you see your areas of influence at work, in the community, at home, in school, and see all the places where you go to where you intersect with other people's lives so you mark off your sphere of influence. Once you've marked off your sphere of influence, then you multiply your influence. And you multiply your influence by sharing the gospel, living out the gospel, pouring your life and discipleship in someone's life. And then once that person knows Christ and they begin to tell others and others and your influence begins to be multiplied, and last of all, is that you need to always be open to moving your sphere of influence. Always be open to moving your sphere of influence. That means God may call you to another city, to another country, to another continent. You just say, I'm wide open, God, to move wherever. That's what influence is. But over these next few weeks, we're going to zero in on marking off your sphere of influence. Because when you mark off your sphere of influence, it means that uh, I want to identify exactly where my area of influence is. And there's going to be work and school and home and community. But today, we want to talk about work. Now, a study showed that for working adults, they will spend 60% of their adult life working. 60% of your adult life working. Now, you think about that. That is huge, to quote our president. It's huge, okay? 60%. Now, if you've got 60% of your adult life is working, 
then that means that God has appointed you this particular sphere to where you can be an influence for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. And if that is true, which it is, then I believe that God's got some huge plans for us and that we need to be prepared to be an influence in that particular sphere. Now, for some of you, you may be in your first job. For some, it may be your second job. For some, it may be your fifth job. You may be a CEO, a CPA. You may work for the CIA, or you're just seeing how to survive your job. For all of us, if we have some kind of work in our adult life, we have an opportunity to be an influence for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. Now, in this influence series, and what you saw in that bumper was we have uh, focused on Newton's cradle. And Newton's cradle, you know how this works, and that is that when you pick up one of the spheres here and you release that sphere, that energy, that force, when it strikes another stationary object, it transmits all the way till you get to the end, and then all of a sudden the last one begins to respond, something like this. And you began to see influence, the effect of one person on another. And every time that you come into contact with them, you're causing some type of impact. And at work, this is what we do. But you know, at work, it's different than most other places in that it is constant. And what I mean by constant is that you will have an opportunity probably in a normal five-day working week you will interact with some of the same people day after day, hour after hour. These aren't just random uh, intersections of life. This is every day. And so every day you have an opportunity to be that influence. Every day you come into work, you will be striking a word of influence. And this will happen on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so something is that important then it seems like that we need to be prepared for both maximizing our influence and also multiplying our influence in the workplace. There's a book that, um, uh, that I recently read that, was, uh, that Chad had passed on to me, and it's, called, it's a book called Design to Lead by Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck. And in this book, they lay it out in a great way as to our responsibility. It says here, it is only believers who are conformed to the image of God, who have the incredible capacity to connect ordinary people to the extraordinary power of God through the gospel. Who else but Christians have the good news that powerless sinners can be saved from sin, death, and Satan? Who else has a message that can deliver people from the futility of the gods of money, sex, power, and possessions? See, God has given this. God has placed you as a Christian in your place of work, this continuous sphere of influence, and he has armed you with the good news so that you can share his glory. And as believers, we're the only ones that can tell someone how they can go from hopelessness to hope, how they can be, go from being lost in their sins to being saved. The only ones that can tell people how they can have a relationship with their creators. We're the only ones that can do this. And so we have been given this incredible gift to be able to go and to tell. And we have this place called work that for as adults, 60% of our life will be there. How do you approach it? How do you use it? How do you multiply it? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. It is Colossians chapter 3. 
Now, I'm going to go off script for just a moment and talk to the camera guys over here. I know we set this up back here. Is it okay if I move this up, Tate? Is it okay with you, or is this going to mess your shot? Y'all okay? I got approval from you and Ethan. Praise God. All right, I'm going to move this up. Yeah, it's a little bit too far for me. We're good. Okay, let's start this whole sermon over. Are you ready? I'm, no, here we go. All right, Colossians chapter 3. I want you to look. Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> and let's start in the 22nd verse. What Paul has already talked about, he's talked about husbands and wives and how they are to, uh, how they're to respond. He talks about fathers and their children. And then verse 22 of chapter 3 says this. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. When you read this passage, it is hard for us to even imagine the vast extent of slavery in the first century and how cruel it was. Whenever you read Scripture, you always want to take a look and and understand the situation that it was in. You got to put it in context. Ancient historians estimate that there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, which is about one-third to one-half the population. One-third to one-half the population. So if you just put that in perspective, if you took a look at all of us that are here today, that in the Roman Empire, that means half of us would be slaves. Close to half of us would be slaves. Practically everything was done by slaves. They worked in the household. They ran errands. They cared for or taught children. They cleaned. They prepared work. And they did all the menial tasks. They worked in the factories and they worked in the fields. And though there was occasionally a good relationship between a master and a slave, basically the life of a slave was a miserable one. And in both Greek and Roman cultures, most slaves had no legal rights and were treated as pieces of property. And with that kind of attitude prevalent in the ancient world, it's not hard to imagine how slaves felt about their masters. Uh, they probably didn't go home and, and thank uh, their lucky stars for this master that they had. So right in the midst of this tension between masters and slaves, Paul has some very clear and practical instructions for Christians on both sides of this issue. And so what I believe that Paul's teaching with the masters and slaves also needs to be considered as a relationship between employers and employees and what our responsibility is to our work. Now, when you read this about slavery, Paul is not condoning slavery. What Paul is doing is saying, this is the, the cards that we've been dealt And I understand that as I'm writing, there are many of you that are Christians that are slaves. And your question is, how am I supposed to respond? I'm a believer now. Is anything different? How am I supposed to respond to my master? And so he's not sitting here uh, making a polemic for slavery. In fact, he's in essence really condemned it because he says earlier that uh, there's no difference between free man and slave, male and and female, uh, Jew, Gentile. So he realizes that all of us are created equal. 
But in this instance, he's writing about what's going on in that situation, in that culture. And he's laying out some things for slaves and masters to do with the relationship that they have. And so we look at this and we ask ourselves the question, how should a Christian conduct himself or herself on the job so that they can bring glory to God and maximize and influence your, maximize and multiply your influence for the gospel? And I think that we can take some things right here from what the Apostle Paul has said. So as we take a look at this, let's look at it first of all from, from the employee standpoint and then the employer leader standpoint. Number one, maximizing your influence as an employee. Now, as you're out in the workforce, as you're this employee, you can look right here as to what he said about slaves, and I think you can come up with at least four things that each one of us can practice. Number one is this, obedience. The first word is obedience. In verse 22, he says, slaves obey in everything those who you are, your earthly masters. That word obey in the Greek language comes from two words. It means listen and under. Listen and under. And what that means is, is you are under the authority of that master. You need to listen to what they say, and then you need to do what they say. We are to give willing obedience to those under whom we work, regardless of who they are, or what their character is like. And I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying, and I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. Christians are not to obey simply when they feel like it or when their employers are fair and reasonable. You are to obey in everything at all times. Don't end there. And then let me insert this. The exception, of course is when you are instructed to do something opposed to God's Word that is morally or ethically wrong. If an employer asks you to do something that is morally or ethically wrong, then you are not bound to do that. In fact, just the opposite, you just need to refuse to do that. Rarely, if we sit there and take all of us in here and what happens in a week-by-week work, Rarely are we asked to do something that is morally or ethically wrong. So for the vast majority of our time, as I'm giving this point on obedience, it is dealing with just the normal work, okay? Just your normal workload and things things that go on. So as long as we're understanding on that, yes, if it's morally, ethically wrong, going against God's Word, we're to stand up and say, no, I can't do that. But everything else that goes on in there... As Christians, we are to obey in all times. We're not free to pick and choose only those things that please us. We may not agree with them. We may not always like what they ask. We may reach a point where we think the situation is intolerable and we need to quit and look for something else. That's fine. But as long as we're employed, we should do what we're told and work to the best of our ability. And some of you will respond to me right now and say, but Danny... You don't know my boss. You just don't know my boss. Well, if you think you've got problems with your boss, I'd like you to imagine being a slave in the first century. I want you to think about the cruel masters that those Christian slaves had to serve. And yet Paul still said in verse 22, obey in everything. No restrictions were applied to this obedience. No fine print. He didn't say 
Don't do what you've been assigned if it makes sense. If He says, do what you, he, he did not say, do what you've been assigned only if it makes sense to you or only if it gives you a sense of satisfaction. What he said was, do what you're told. So whether your boss is kind or cruel, believing or pagan, a Christian is to be obedient to him or her because that's God's will. And an employer, no matter who he is or she is, deserves the best effort in whatever work we do for them. We are to do that. And if you sit there and you want to get out in a conversation with me and say, well, you just don't know, it's just unbearable, then find another job. Then find another job. And if you come back and you say, well, I can't or I'm looking, then I agree with you. You look, you find something else that's more in touch with, with how you feel you should work and be treated. But while you're working for this individual... I'm going with what Paul says. He says, you need to be obedient. You need to do what they say to do, unless it's morally or ethically wrong. And so Paul, understand, you got to understand the kind. He's writing to slaves, and he says, obey in everything. And so he's saying, you look beyond that, beyond the cruelty of that master. You've got to look to Christ. He says, you need to be obedient in everything that you do. We have, I've had a, a great opportunity uh, as being pastor here to have a, a number of business people that will come and talk to me. And they talk to me about their business situation. And some have lamented over the boss that they're working for. And, and they have been ridiculed for their Christianity. They have, uh, they have been asked to do some things that, that uh, just seemed like it stretched their time and, and other things. And it, uh, and it was just, a, it was like a bad relationship. But you tell what's so exciting. Each one of those people that has talked to me has said, but I'm going to continue to do my best, and I'm going to earn a platform to be able to share the gospel. And then to hear them come back and say, you know, I've been working with this boss for a year or two years, and you know what? He said, they're not a believer, but they have been able to give me good reviews. They've been very complimentary in my work. They don't agree with what I believe as a Christian, but they're seeing my work, and because they're seeing my work, there's a respect that they have for me, and there are some openings for me to be able to share. You see, that's the way it needs to be. If you want to talk about maximizing your influence for the gospel, it means that with the employer, you need to be obedient to the things that they ask to do, unless it's morally or ethically wrong and against God's word. Makes sense? Obedience. It's exactly what Paul said, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And then second of all is consistency. There's obedience and there's consistency. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. (laughs) Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Now, eye service. You say, what is eye service? You know, eye service means only when your boss is watching. Be obedient in everything, not just eye service, not just when the boss is watching. Don't just be the people pleaser. He says you're to be obedient consistently when the boss is there and when the boss isn't there. If Paul was writing today, he would say you need to be obedient, you need to be working hard, you need to do this consistently even when the boss is standing there And even when the boss is not there, which what that means is when the boss is there, you look like you're working hard. And when the boss walks out the door, you go back to Candy Crush, Angry Birds, Solitaire, or ESPN looking over your shoulder. 
You know, I saw a cartoon years ago that always resonated with me. It's when a boss walked in and he called his employee, looked like he wasn't working. He said, Simmons, why aren't you working? Said, I'm sorry, sir, I didn't see you coming. Uh, and, and sometimes that's the way we are. But what he's, Paul's saying is that you need to do this with consistency. You need to do this with consistency. And then he says, a sincerity of heart, no ulterior motive, but a consistency, cooperation, respect, honor, and a good supportive attitude. Let me say this one more time. It's cooperation, respect, honor, and a supportive attitude. This is what we as believers are to have as we're in the marketplace, whether the boss is around or whether he or she is not. Number three is an all-out effort, an all-out effort. When you take a look in verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily. Now, this is a verse we've used a lot. I use it all the time. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses. Uh, I did a... um, uh, I did a Bible study for back when Barry was a high school. Uh, and when Barry was a high school, I was their chaplain for their football team shortly after, uh, after I got married and, and was living here in Birmingham. And this was our, this was the theme verse. Whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord. And, and, you know, I just knew that verse, but I've never really put it in context. It was with slaves and masters. Okay. Now some of those football players probably thought they felt like slaves with their coaches being their master. But this is what he's, he's talking to. He's talking to slaves. And he's telling them with their master, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily. That means don't be half-hearted. It is with all your strength. Half-hearted effort is a poor testimony. And so as Christians, we're to give 100% in our jobs and be the best employee we can be. And that speaks to the three E's, effort, enthusiasm, and excellence. Effort, enthusiasm, and excellence. And so if you can go in and and be someone who puts a lot of effort, you're doing excellent work, and you've got enthusiasm in your work, he says, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. And sometimes your work can be hard, sometimes it can be boring, and sometimes it can even be monotonous. But no matter the job, you need to give it your best because of the God that you serve. Martin Luther King, Jr., shared about this and put it in a, in a great picture. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. You know? It's not necessarily what you do, it's how you do it. And it gives you a platform for maximizing your influence for the gospel and for the glory of God. Consistency, an all-out effort, and then eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. In verse 23, the second part of that says this. He's talking about whatever you do, you work heartily. Why? As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. You work as though Jesus Christ is your boss. Sometimes when you're in a situation where you got a boss that you said, I'm really having a hard time working with them, you just need to look beyond them and see Christ. 
Because what Paul is saying is that you work as if you're working for Christ. And for these slaves uh, with a cruel master, he says you need to look beyond him and you look to Christ. Man, I understand that. I work for Dave Matthews uh, over here. I had to look way beyond and see Christ. Amen? All right, David? Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you have to look beyond. And, and that's what he's saying to them. He says you need to have an eternal perspective. That as a Christian, you have been given this opportunity. This is a sphere appointed by God in this particular job where you are at at this particular time, and you need to realize that you work for Christ. And he says, go to work every day as eagerly as you would if Jesus were your personal supervisor. Go about work as if you were typing that letter for Jesus. Go about work as if you were programming that computer for Jesus to run. Go about work as if you were building that house for Jesus to live in. Give an all-out effort. There's no doubt at all that if Jesus really were your boss, you'd be willing to obey without argument and without delay. Now, some of you would come back and you say, well, if Jesus was my boss, that would be easy. You know, he wouldn't be as demanding as my boss I have now. Really? (laughs) Have you read the New Testament? I think some of you would say, give me my old boss. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Suffer even as I've suffered. Wash the feet of others, be a servant. He put some pretty strong requirements on you. So keep that eternal perspective. You say, it's as if I'm serving Christ. And, um, you know, I, I think you just need to give your best all day long. And Paul says that's how a Christian should serve his superior. Because how a Christian works in his or her job reflects on Jesus Christ, regardless of who your earthly employer may be. Now, you just got to be honest here. People are not going to be inclined to listen to the testimony of a Christian who does shoddy, careless work or who's constantly whining and complaining and looking for ways to just get by. Now, adults, we need to understand this, and young people, you need to understand this. If you sit there and say, man, when I get into the business world or wherever I'm going, when I get out of school, I want to be an influence for Christ. Well, let me just tell you, if you do shoddy work and you're just that whiner and complainer and the person that's always talking behind other people's back, and then you think you've got a platform to share the gospel, you don't. No one's going to listen to you. The one they're going to listen to is the one that's getting after it. And the one that's got a strong attitude, understands excellence, understands uh, respect and honor and hard work and cooperation, still the one that will stand up. And if it's wrong, they'll stand up and say it's wrong. But they'll do it in an honorable, respectful way. And it's one that when things get tough, they continue to work through it. And they say, hey, I'm going to work hard. And when people see that, they're going to come to you when difficulties in life happen because they have a respect for you. If you can gain the respect in the favor of others, then you have enlarged your platform. You see, your primary responsibility and my primary responsibility is to make the gospel attractive to the unsaved. You are God's representative in that office, on the job site, in that classroom, on the assembly line, and on that athletic field. You may be God's only representative in your workplace. Therefore, it's crucial that you work in such a way that your sphere of influence will bring glory to God and gain favor with those whom you work with and work for. I was brought back to the Acts chapter 2 
uh, passage in the scripture. In Acts chapter 2, in, in what happened, it was uh, after Jesus had ascended, uh, he told the, um, told the church, there about 120 of them, to stay and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. They went out. It was on Pentecost. Peter preached and it says over 3,000 people made decisions for Christ and were saved. And the New Testament church began to take off. And then the rest of that chapter, verses 42 through 47, talks about all the things that they did. I talked about that. They had everything in common. Uh, they were sharing their meals. But then you get to verse 47, and it says this. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Focus on that word, having favor. It's underlined. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had favor with all the people. So this early church... These are not people that just went to church every day and just had worship services. No, they had jobs. They had to go to work. And when they went to work and when they were in social settings, because they lived out this life for Christ, it says they had favor. And because they had favor, the Lord was adding to their numbers. And so when we look at this verse, don't just think it's just talking about discipleship groups and church action. These are people that are adding to their numbers because they had favor with the people. And the way you get favor with the people is that you uh, maximize your influence by setting up a platform to share the gospel. And that comes from you in the workplace being someone who's obedient, who's consistent, and gives an all-out effort. And all of a sudden, you've got people that would want to talk to you. I experienced this myself when I was at the phone company and I was doing uh, sales training. And for two years, I was, uh, for our region, uh, we were doing sales training out of here in Birmingham. And I was assigned an individual to work with me who was an atheist, first time I'd ever met one uh, over there. And uh, we are assigned together to work together. I didn't know him. Uh, I started to say, I don't know him from Adam, but I don't think he believed in Adam, so I don't know. <laughs> but, I, you know, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And, uh, but we began to talk a little bit because I told him, hey, you know, I go to Shades Mountain, teach Sunday school, stuff like that. And, and he just didn't want anything to do with that. But they gave us an assignment to take on a course called the AE Selling Skills, AESS. And that account executive selling skills, we were to be the pilot project. And we had the responsibility of putting together, of taking this course and teaching it to others. And then upon the success, if there was any success that we had, then they were going to continue to expand this uh, throughout AT&T. So there was some pressure on us, and there was a spotlight on us to make this work. So he and I were partners in this, about as opposite as could be. But we built this friendship. And the way we built this friendship, this guy was a hard worker. I was a hard worker. This guy showed respect. I showed respect. This guy had a cooperative attitude. I had a cooperative attitude. And all of a sudden, we became one. And we nailed the course, by the way. It's incredible. Uh, so, but we, we taught this together. We worked together in there. And all of a sudden, there was an open door to spiritual conversations. Now, he did not make a decision for Christ. And I don't know where he is today. And my hope and prayer is that one day he did. But he got into more gospel conversations than he'd ever had in all of his life. And what made that happen is that I tried to be obedient to the bosses above me. I tried to be consistent in the way that I worked. I tried to give an all-out effort and at the same time kept an eternal perspective because it was just not just his friendship but also his soul was part of what I was concerned with. 
How do you maximize your influence for Christ? Maximize your influence by building that platform so that you can share. Now, real quickly, maximize your influence as an employer or a leader. Just two things, you write these down. Not going a lot of detail on them. Everything else I've said should apply to you as an employer or a leader. Now, when I mean as a leader, it means that you've had people that now you, uh, you get the opportunity to guide and direct. Two things. Number one, treat fairly those whom you have been given responsibility. And number two, remember you're accountable. You leave that one up there first. Let's go back to number one. All right. Treat fairly those whom you've been given responsibility. As that stays up, let me read chapter four, verse one. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Treat your slaves justly and fairly. So as leaders or as employers, you're to treat those whom you've been given responsibility, you treat them fairly. And number two is to remember that you are accountable to God. Remember that you are accountable to God. If you're in a responsibility of leadership in the business world, use your influence wisely. As a Christian leader, you can cultivate an environment where your worldview can flourish around you. The great thing about being a believer is when you step into the business world, you are the only one that's bringing a biblical worldview. And if you're an employer or you're a leader, you get to shape the culture. You get to shape the culture. I was working at a telephone company. There was a guy named Cleve Wiley who was a strong believer who hired me to work as a, as an, uh, as a sales manager underneath him. And what he did as a strong believer, he built this culture. And he built a biblical worldview culture. A culture. It was incredible. And you see, that's what we as leaders get this opportunity to do. And then you can shape the culture of the organization that you lead. You can establish behavior patterns through your leadership that display fairness and excellence and forgiveness and sacrificial leadership and compassion. And when you do this, all these qualities will serve as a launching point for gospel conversations. You'll have that opportunity, folks, I'm telling you. And if God is giving you that, that incredible gift of being a, a leader of over others, then you have got it teed up for you right there to be able to provide this incredible platform to where people see this culture change because it's a biblical worldview. And then... They're ready to hear the message. Um, what we do with our deacons is that when we go on a deacon's retreat, we ask them to write out something that, that, uh, that I can pray and the rest of the deacons can pray for them. And so every deacon gives a verse of Scripture and then writes out a prayer request. And I want you to pray this Scripture. And so every day we break them down to where on the first, I've got this one, second, this one. This past week, I just I was praying for some of our deacons each day. Let me just read you. Two of their requests. This is what one said. As I lead in our department, my desire is to be seen as a leader from a business standpoint. But even more important, to focus on my actions and words reflecting Christ. It's a business leader who's got eternal perspective. Another one, that I will use my position to influence others and impact them for Christ. You see, this is what they're writing down. This is what they say, pray for me. This is where I want my life to be. You will answer to God for how you handle authority, and one day you'll have to give an account on the way that you ran your office or you ran your workplace. But you see, when I see accountability, it's not something that is just a fearful thing, but I also see it's a reminder of the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. 
that he bestowed his grace on me through the cross when I did not deserve it. And so because of his great name, that he be given glory due to him, I want to be an ambassador for Christ in my sphere of influence and work. I want to do that. It's not because I'm being, if someone's, you know, the God's sitting there pressing on me saying, hey, you're going to be held accountable. I understand that part. But the other part of it is, good gracious, Christ died on the cross for me, and I didn't even deserve that. And because of his grace and his love and his mercy, now all of a sudden he placed me in this place of work, in this sphere appointed by him. And as an employer or a leader, he's given me an opportunity to pour my life into these other people uh, that work for me. And because I have that opportunity, I want to take full advantage of it. And I want to be that person that can be a conduit of the gospel. So the last thing is this, and just write these down. That's how you maximize your influence. Let's multiply your influence. Multiplying your influence in your sphere of work, ABC. Try to make it as easy as possible. Are you ready? Be aware, be bold, be considerate. Be aware, be bold, be considerate. Be aware, be bold, be considerate. This is how you multiply your influence in your sphere of work. Because of how you work, you have an opportunity to maximize your influence. And you could be a great employee and never say anything about the gospel. (laughs) So I want to talk to you about how do you multiply your influence? You be aware. You be aware of what's going on. You be aware of what's happening in people's lives. And as you're aware of what's going on in people's lives, then you be bold. And that means when a person's going through a difficult time, why don't you even initiate and ask them and talk to them? Or if they come to you and ask you a question, don't just give them a Dr. Phil answer. But give them a biblical answer. And then come and say, hey, this is what God's word says. And this is something that has worked for me and I would like to share it with you. Be bold in that. At the same time, be considerate. Because there are restrictions at times and places that we work. So be considerate of those restrictions and just be wise. And if the opportunity comes and it falls in there, then do that. All right? Be aware. Be bold. Be considerate. You have been given that sphere that's appointed by God. Uh, one of my favorite coaches of all time is Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden's a strong believer and a strong Christian. And Mark Rick, who was a coach at the University of Georgia for a number of years, is now at the University of Miami, shares his testimony. And his testimony has to do with Bobby Bowden. Because When Mark Rick finished his playing days at the University of Miami, Bobby Bowden hired him to come on to the staff of Florida State University. And as he was there on his his staff, there was a young man on Florida State by the name of Pablo who was murdered. And he was killed. The next day, they had a team meeting and everybody came. And when everybody came for team meetings, everyone had assigned seats. And so everyone sat in the same seat. And Pablo's seat was empty. And Bobby Bowden said, he said, men, I want you to notice that there's one seat that's empty, and that's Pablo's. Now, the question I want to ask you is that if you did not come home last night, where would you spend eternity? Mark Rick said, I was sitting in the back of the room, and I was listening to what he said, and I began to think about where I'd spend eternity, and I didn't really like it. I didn't like it what I was thinking. 
He said, so I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. I walked into Coach Bowden's office and uh, my boss, the guy I work for, and I said, Coach, you asked that question about where you spend eternity, and I don't know the answer to that question. Coach Bowden could have said, well, I tell you what, here's a card of a couple of different churches that you could go attend and uh, maybe go over there and do that. Coach Bowden took a Bible out of his office, opened it up, walked him through the plan of salvation, and Mark Rick prayed and asked Christ to come into his heart. He said, at that moment, a transformation began. I began to see other people differently. I began to think differently, and it was the trajectory that changed his life and changed it for eternity. And now Mark Rick has been able to share his testimony. Many others have come to know Christ. And so all of a sudden, Bobby Bowden multiplied his influence. So why did he, was, was he able to multiply the influence that was used to bring honor and glory to God? It is because he was a leader and he was a coach. An opportunity came and he was bold in sharing it. And he took advantage of that God moment. And when he took advantage of that God moment, then God used that to bring someone into his kingdom. That's how you multiply your influence. Be aware, be bold, be considerate. And when you do that, you will have this huge sphere of influence workplace to be more than just a place where you get a paycheck and you help support your family and yourself. It is a place where for the glory of God, you can be an influence for him and just be thankful that he placed you right there for that season. And that may change. And you may move to another place. And guess what? If you move to another job, that's your sphere appointed by God. And he wants you to use your influence there. Let's be people who maximize our influence and then multiply the influence for the gospel. Now, we're going to um, take the Lord's Supper. And uh, I love the fact the way this falls in. Because as we're taking the Lord's Supper today, it's a reminder of what Jesus said to his disciples on that night in which he was to be arrested and then the next day was going to die on a cross and then three days later was to be raised from the dead. And as he taught them and he talked to them about what all his death meant, he knew that he was going to be sending them out. And they were going to be the influencers for the kingdom of God. They were going to be the ones that were going to be sharing the gospel. And so as we prepare for this, we need to prepare our hearts and to remember what Jesus has done for us. And at that same time say, oh God, I want to be an influence for you. I want to be an influence for the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our uh, ushers at this time or those who will be coming to serve the elements, if you will come. And, and as you come, I'm going to ask you to be in a position to get ready to serve those elements. And let me share with you as a congregation that as these elements will be passed to you, we invite you to take the element and just hold on to it. And it'll be a cup and it'll have a wafer in it. And just hold on to it. And after everyone uh, is served, then I will give some instructions for how we will partake of it. And uh, this is uh, for us as believers. And, and if you're here and you say, you know, Danny, I've never made that decision to receive Christ as Savior. I'm kind of like Mark Rick was sitting in that meeting. I'm not really certain where I'd spend eternity. Well, my hope is that today you would make that decision to receive Christ as Savior. 
But at this particular time, this is an ordinance of the church, and this is for believers, and we're to do this in remembrance of Christ. And so as it's passed to you and, and you've never made that decision for Christ, then just go on and pass it down. But I hope that you'll be thinking about the words of the song that are sung and the words that we have preached, and may the Spirit speak to your heart to make that decision. So uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll distribute the elements. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness to go to the cross and die, and that, um, Lord, you were faithful in raising him from the dead, giving victory over sin and victory over death. As we partake of these elements, may you speak to our hearts, convict us of sin, convict us of unrighteousness, and remind us of your love, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.